Welcome to Peaks Island Radio's first Garden Talk of 2020 with Jim Lozier of Lozier Family Gardens. We joined the conversation already in progress. It aired live in April, and unfortunately, we've retained about half of that recording. But it is here for you to take a listen. Prior to this moment, Jim had talked about the need for garden testing, soil testing out on Peaks, and the problems that you may run into, including primarily the problem of lead in garden soil. So he encourages everybody to take a test. It costs about $15 to $18. Send it off to the University of Maine Extension System, and they'll send you back a detailed list of the things that are good and bad about your soil, what amendments you may need, and then also will tell you if the lead level in your soil is too high. We joined the conversation with Jim talking about the amazing amount of people taking up gardening this year and the seed supply, which he discusses and talks about his suppliers. I have been assured that there's plenty of seeds uh, for my customers. So, and I get an order every Friday to replenish what I've sold, but I've already noticed how many seed packets I'm selling um, than I normally do this time of year, which is really kind of unusual. Um, so I guess the main, the main thing I want to talk about with seeds is uh, overplanting. So, and this is more kind of a guy thing. They get a packet of seeds and they feel they have to plant the whole packet. And um, I, I just want to let people know that seeds last for years. So you don't have to plant the whole packet. You can keep, keep the seeds from year to year and it'll still be fine. So an example of that, let's say you're planting radishes. Well, there's probably about 100 to 200 seeds in a pack of radish seeds. The whole packet gets planted, and in three weeks, you've got about 200 radishes ready all at the same time. So a suggestion would be you plant a few seeds every week so that you have um, radishes on a regular basis, and that packet may last you the whole season and probably into the next season. And then, um, unless you love radishes, then plant the whole pack, I guess. So, uh, and then also, if you buy a packet of tomatoes, you might get 50 seeds in there. Well, if you, if you uh, start 50 seeds in your house, how many tomato plants do you really have room for? You, you probably only have room for a few, few of them, but that plant, packet of seeds will last you maybe five or six years. And a good way to store them is I store mine in a mason jar and I keep it in a cool, dry place. And I still have seeds from six or seven years ago that I'm still using. So anyway, that's my tip on seeds. That's great. Yeah, we had a, I guess, like one or two um, packets of, like I think, yeah, it was uh, sugar snap peas. And we were worried about whether or not they would still be good. But it sounds like, and from several years ago, like 2017 or something, it sounds like just throw them in and, and let them rip. That's right, if you've stored them properly. So if you store them outside in, in the shed and they freeze and they thaw and they freeze and they thaw, you might not get as good of a germination rate on it as opposed to if you store them in a good, cool, dry place, um, the germination rates t- tend to stay fairly high. All right. Any anything more on that you want to ask, Chris? Uh, so, uh, yeah, actually, if we could talk a little bit more, <laughs> if we could talk a little bit more about the staggered planting. So I know, um, like you're saying, it makes a perfect sense to start with, um, you know, what you could reasonably eat for radishes or anything, carrots. Um, 
what do people do if they want to maximize, say, like a little gardening space that they have? Is there a way to interplant? I've heard things oh, about that, but I don't know enough that, about it to do it well. That's a great question. Okay. No, that's a great question. So um, let's say you're going to do arugula. So arugula, is, it grows fairly quickly. Um, it likes the cool weather, it, and it will bolt. So within a month, the arugula will be gone. Well, in a month from now, um, you'll be able to use that space. You can either plant arugula again, or you can use that space for something else, such as your peppers or your cucumber or zucchini. Um, and then when, you, when those are done, you could actually get a fall, another fall crop of you could put fall spinach in that space. So that one space, you could probably get three different crops over the whole season. That's great. That's really fantastic. Is there anything to, um, to like marry together or to stay away from combining in a space like that? Um, that like is either good to follow or bad to follow? Oh, uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. So I guess like if I grow... To use your example, arugula, is there anything that I should not plant after the arugula because it's just not going to thrive or do as well having had arugula before it? No. Cool. It's okay. totally fine to plant something else there. That's great. I'm trying to think if there are some things. Well, there are some things like tomatoes. You want to move your tomatoes around from year to year. So you don't want to plant them in the same spot every year because of the diseases and bugs. And so every year you should probably not let, so next, if you plant arugula in one spot of your garden this year, next year you might want to plant it in a different spot. Mm-hmm. So you do that kind of a rotation and it, it's a good way to stop um, bugs and diseases from getting into your garden. Good. Okay. And when people, when people talk about doing that sort of rotation, does it have to be particularly far away or if you've got three beds that are all within like wheelbarrows distance of each other. Is that enough to just rotate from bed to bed? Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Great. Okay. So I had another fun tip that was, so, oh, it's actually a great one for Peaks Island. So you have an abandoned car with windows in your yard, you know, hopefully it's a hatchback or a station wagon and it's parked in a semi-shaded area. If you put the seats down, you can slide in your newly planted seed trays, and you have like an instant little mini greenhouse. And you want to keep a little crack in the window so it doesn't overheat. Um, and to keep the temperatures from dropping too quickly at night, you might want to put in some gallon jugs of water. It will absorb the heat during the day and slowly release it during the, the cool part of the night. And make sure your seedlings are watered on a regular basis. This is also a great way to harden off your seedlings before planting them in the garden because you can open the the doors of the car during the day and close them up at night, and it stops the frost from setting in on them. And years ago, everybody had an abandoned car in their yard. It's a little bit different now, but if you do have one, turn it into a little mini greenhouse. What an awesome idea. (laughs) And that tip was brought to you by Travers Tuttle, who's now towing cars. <laughs> okay. So the next thing I want to talk about was container gardening, uh, which is very popular on the island. Whether you're planting veggies or flowers in a container, the basic rules are about the same. And this also includes house plants and hanging baskets. Um, when you have a, a plants in a container, they're at your mercy for all the water and nutrients 
unlike plants that are in the ground where they can seek what they need. Um, you, you want to start with a good soil medium. It needs to be light. Um, it needs to be able to absorb moisture, but also dry out. I tend to use ProMix or the Costa Maine potting soil because they're really light and they do have nutrients in them. I use a slow-release fertilizer like an Osmocote, which can release nutrients to your plants over a four- to six-month period. Um, you can also use a liquid fertilizer, but you're going to want to use that about every two weeks. Um, I don't recommend using fish fertilizer inside. That's an outside-use thing only. Um, and I made the mistake of doing that years ago, and I'll never do it again. It's hard to get the smell out of the house once you use it in the house. Um, flowering will change as your plants grow. When you first plant your containers, there's going to be a lot of soil in there and not so many roots. Um, so the pot's going to stay moist and wet for a longer period of time, so you're not going to have to water as much. But as the summer goes on, the plants are going to get larger. They're going to fill with roots. They're going to displace the soil, which um, the less soil to absorb the water in your container, the faster it's going to dry out. So you're really going to want to watch your watering at that point. Um, I always tell people to water to capacity, which means that you want to water so that all the water goes through the pot and out into the bottom of the pot. So, you, so the whole pot is getting wet, not just the top few inches. And the issue with that is if you just let the top few inches of water, um, it, it doesn't go through the whole pot, only the top few inches are wet. The plant's just not getting enough water. And if you miss a watering uh, and it's really hot, the whole plant's going to burn out. So it's really important that you water to capacity. Um, and this is especially important for your hang baskets. You know, when you take them out of the greenhouse at the end of May, it's, um, there's still a fair amount of soil. You water, the water pours out of the bottom, and you could probably get away with watering them maybe two or three times a week. But come August, that pot is so full of roots, it's not going to be able to hold the moisture as much as you want, and you're going to end up having to water it maybe once or twice a day at that point. So it's really important that you keep a, um, a watch of that. When you're planting your containers, you want to um, leave at least an inch from the top so that when you water, the water stays in the pot and doesn't flow out the sides. Because if it flows out the sides, you know your, your plant's not getting the water that it needs. So that's my spiel on container gardening. That was, yeah, I frankly found that fascinating because I never thought of the fact that roots um would have that sort of impact on on soil capacity um within within a container are there any things so sometimes i've noticed when um i want to transplant a plant from like one size container to another um that the plant seems to not do as well at first in the in the larger pot is there a reason for that is it just because i've been rustling it around or is it something like what you're talking about not watering enough no so, but also when you're, yes, okay, so when you're transplanting, you're taking your uh, plant out of a smaller pot and you're putting it in a bigger pot, you're going to want to move the roots around because it, when you pop it out of the pot, you'll notice that if it's a square pot, you're gonna, the roots are going to grow in a square. If it's a round pot, they're, they're doing the circular motion. So if you just take that plant out and just pop it into a larger pot, those roots are still going to be growing in a circle or a square. So you've got to 
you know, pull the bottom of the, the I usually break the roots off I, on the very bottom. I just rip them off. Mm. And that way it allows the roots to go down and out instead of growing into that circular motion. Okay. That, so makes that, a lot of that sense. could be one reason why you're having a hard time. But also, now you, when you've had that plant in that smaller pot, you've developed a habit of watering it maybe once a week or watering it every two weeks based on how much soil and how big the pot was. When you're moving it into a larger pot and you're still doing that type of watering, you may be watering the plant too much at that point. Okay. Because now there's a lot of soil in there and it's going to stay moist or wet for a longer period of time as opposed to when it was in the smaller pot. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, thank you. All right, so the next thing, I've, I've got a, a cut flower tip. So I know a lot of people love cut flowers in the house. And um, years ago, I was cleaning a bunch of cut flowers in my shop, and Chanye Taylor came in. She's the owner of the Cockagull. And we were chatting, and she was watching me while I was doing it. And then she, she said she had a, a, a trick in keeping the water clean. Now, it's important to keep the water clean in your cut flowers because if once bacteria starts to grow in it, it actually deteriorates the flowers a lot faster. If you keep your water clean, your cut flowers are going to last a lot longer. She recommended putting a drop of bleach in the water, and it keeps the water free of the bacteria, which will weaken the flowers. And um, it's a great habit that I continue today, uh, other than changing my water daily, running the stems through water just to, to get any of the bacteria off it. I put a drop of bleach in it, and it keeps the water clean for a long time. So, um, so that, I just offer that tip to folks who like cut flowers. And this tip was brought to you by the Cockeye Go. We hope you are open soon when it's safe for you and your staff. Um, I miss not being able to go down there, and I'm anxious for the day that I can have her Korean veggie cakes again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many places on the island that we haven't been able to visit them. Just like, wow, won't it be great when we can go there again? <laughs> I know. I think we're in this for the long haul, though. But, um, so, Chris, I think my cell phone's been beeping quite a bit. Oh, great. Good. So I'm going to check my text messages to see what we have for questions. Perfect. Right, so yeah, if you do, so if you've joined us a little bit late, if you do have questions, Jim is taking them by email and by text. You can email him at jrlosier, L-A-U-S-I-E-R, at myfairpoint.net, or text his cell phone, just 207-712-6223. Okay, so yeah, this, this some quick, okay, so I'm just going to all right. Uh, is it too early to put out my tomatoes? Yes, it is too early. They'll be dead by morning. <laughs> um, it, they're a tropical. They're a tropical plant, so it's, our nights are too cold. Again, we had snow yesterday. Um, no, you can't put your basil out. It's way too early. Uh, you put your basil out now. It's like putting basil in a refrigerator. And I don't know if you've ever done that. Fresh basil you put in a refrigerator, and you go back in and. Uh, Within hours, it's turned black, so right. and you can't use it. So you certainly can't put your tomatoes out, uh, your your basil or your tomatoes out now. Um, when do I prune? When do I prune my shrubs? 
So uh, that's a really good question. General rule of thumb on that is you prune right after it's done blooming. So our forsythia is blooming right now. In another couple of weeks, it, uh, the flowers will be gone. It's a great time uh, to prune it at that time. And because they're already setting their flowers for the following year. But right after they're done blooming, they start setting their flowers for the following year. So if you wait too long, then you're cutting all the flowers out for the following year. So if I don't prune my forsythia in the next couple of weeks and I decide I'm going to do it in September, I've just cut all the flowers out and I'm not going to get any flowers for next year. Wow. And that, that goes. So that's the general rule is you, you prune right after it's done blooming. Um, I guess roses, hydrangeas, the butterfly bushes, I usually tend to prune those in the spring when I can see uh, what has died back over the winter. Um, except I do kind of recommend cutting the blossoms of your hydrangea in the fall. And the reason is because the snow gets trapped in the blossoms and they get really heavy and they snap the branches. Mm, okay. What about something like uh, raspberry canes or blackberry canes? When is the best Ooh. time to do those? Uh, you, usually it's done in the spring. Bring. You know what, Chris? I'm really bad about raspberries. I think I might so be too I because be I did mine in the fall. <laughs> but I think it's, yeah. Okay. Um, is seaweed safe to use in the garden? Absolutely. It's full of micronutrients, um, It's and it's also great for your compost pile. And full sun. Full sun. How many hours is that? So um, here's the chart on sun. Six hours or more is considered full sun. Um, even if you get a dappled sun through the trees, that's still considered sun. So six hours or more is full sun. Four to six hours is considered part sun or part shade. Anything less than four hours is considered shade. Um, people think that to have full sun, you need to like 12 hours of sun. It's, it's only six hours of sun. Wow. Yeah, no, I didn't realize that either. And that's the same regardless of what you're growing, like tomatoes, full sun for six hours is fine, just the same way that, say, lettuces. That's right. Yep. Cool. Although with tomatoes, if you even get more than six hours of sun, they're even going to do better. Like my, mine get full sun um, from morning to night, and they tend to do really better because it heats up a little more than if it was just six hours. Mm -hmm. But six hours or more is full sun. Right. Um what zone are we? We are a strong zone five, and we're moving into a zone six with uh, climate change. Um, there are microclimates on the island that probably would be considered a zone six. Hmm. Where would those be located? More interior or? No, closer to the ocean. Oh, okay. Yep. The closer you are to the water, the, the temperature tends to stay up a little higher. Hmm. Um, can you recommend a book for me? Yes, I can. Um, the Garden Primer, or The Garden Primer, uh, by Barbara Demersch. And uh, it is one of the best books for gardening. If you're a new gardener or you're an old gardener, um, she gives she, all the information you need to know about your soil, annuals, perennials, herbs, uh, trees, shrubs, fruit, um, and she's located here in Maine, so it's a it's a great garden book for a Mainer. 
there aren't many pictures in it, or there's no pictures. It's mostly drawings. Um, but the information that she provides is invaluable. It's a, a book I've used for um, the last 15 years, and I refer to it all the time. So that's, a, a, again, that's called the Garden Primer. Um, oh, that's kind of a silly one. Um, <laughs> if you could be a tree, what would you be? <laughs> I would be, uh, actually, that's an easy one, a red oak. Uh, they're beautiful trees. We have the most incredible red oaks all over the island, and they're all kind of getting to that age now where they're starting to decline a little bit. Um, but they're just—they're a good food source for all the songbirds because the bugs like to get into them. Um, they have great shape, and um, it's just a—that a, would be the tree I would be. Plus, Stan Newell is a great arborist, and I know he would make me look good all the time. Uh, <laughs> and let me check one more thing. I think that's about it. Okay. So, actually, there is a question that came through our um, channels, too. And actually, there's two. The first question, if you don't mind, is... Um, Someone has a peace plant. My mother-in-law actually has a peace plant, and she's interested in knowing um, what she might be able to do to sort of resuscitate it and get some um, more life into it. She said that she, when she cuts back dead leaves, um, it almost goes back all the way to the stem. It seems very sluggish, and she's wondering if there's any fertilizer or compost that might help resuscitate it. Yep. So a peace plant is one of the easiest plants to grow, um, and... They have this great white flower that comes out, and then they've got these really rich green leaves. The thing with them is they like to have their feet wet. Mm. So she may not be watering it enough. Okay, that's good to know. So that, that would be one thing. Um, and it could be pot-bound, so it's probably drying out. So like what we talked about a while ago, maybe putting it in a little bit of a bigger pot um, so it doesn't dry out so fast. And then using uh, a slow-release fertilizer, such as Osmocote, which usually lasts about four to six months. Okay. And is, and, that, is that one of the ones that's available in, like, the little stick form that you put in, or is it something different than it, that? It, no, it is. Okay. Um, it, it is. And then uh, most of the Osmocote that I've seen is, is pelletized. So it's okay. got there these little balls and stuff, and then you just kind of mix it into the top surface of the soil. I usually don't mix it into the whole pot. Because when you water, the nutrients will go down. If, if the fertilizer is at the bottom of the pot, then it's just going to flow out and not be available to the plant. Mm -hmm. um, is this a good time to plant grass seed? Yes, now is a good time to plant grass seed. Um, the soil is warming up. Scratch up the surface a little more to the surface of the soil a little bit more to, um, to get some more heat into it. But now is a great time to plant grass seed. And let me see if there's any other ones here. <laughs> so we, we do have one more here. Um, do you have another one? But, um, so d I think uh, they, get, they have to be gardening questions. I'm getting questions that I, I don't want to answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this one is a gardening question. Um, I think cocktail hour on Peaks Island started early and it's going a little longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's trying to be a comedian. That's funny. <laughs> um, 
Is there an effective and environment-friendly natural product that a gardener can try um, to keep deer away from their garden without putting up some sort of fencing? So there is a product out called Plant Skid, and um, so the, so they're trying to find a product so that they don't have to put fences around a particular shrub or tree or perennial, I'm assuming, right? That, yeah, that's is what it, it sounds like. Yep. Okay. So um, there is a plant uh, product called pl- um, Skid. It's from Sweden. And you spray it on the plant. It gets absorbed into the leaf. And um, it lasts, I, th- I want to say it lasts like four to six months. And um, it's got a terrible taste to it, and it will deter deer from um, from eating it. And it's totally safe to use. The only thing is, you do have to spray it onto the new growth. As new growth is is um, coming out on the plant, you'll want to spray that again onto okay. those leaves. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that yeah, the deer. The, the deer haven't been bad um, compared to what it was 20 years ago when we had like 400 deer in a place that should only have 16 deer, and they were eating everything. And, the, and no matter what sprays you used, um, you know, the, the soap, the hair, uh, all, all that stuff, mm-hmm. none of it worked. Whereas now it does because there's so few deer on the island. Those products are starting to work a little bit better. Oh, that's good to know. Yep. Yeah, where where we live, we're on um, bracket. It was hilarious. Uh, we had these hostas that the deer absolutely loved, and our dog had started to notice by looking out the window. And he went and he tried to pee on the hostas, and the deer didn't care. They just kept eating it. <laughs> Hosta, uh, tulips, daylilies, no matter what, deer love those. They're, that's their favorite food. It's nice and succulent. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just looking to see if there's an. I think that is. Oh, I would like to have a container of flowering plants that I can enjoy enjoy outside for the summer, but I want to be able to bring it in for the winter. All right, that's a good question. Actually, that makes me think of my grandmother. Um, I grew up in northern Maine, and our winters are really long. And um, she always had red geraniums that she had in a pot that she would put out for the summer and um, bring them in for the winter. And they bloomed for her in a sunny windowsill all winter long. So that might be a kind of a fun plant for you. Um, yeah, they'll, bl- they'll bloom most of the winter in a sunny window. And, but by the late winter, the plants tend to get tall and lanky. Um, and maybe we can, so at that point she would cut them down to the ground, almost to the ground, to six inches. And she would give them a little bit of fertilizer and they would come back really thick and full and be reblooming in no time. So that would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a question that oh. sort of, if, they, if that's all right, I've got a question that sort of expands off of that. So I've heard a lot of people talk about forcing bulbs and things like that inside. What does that mean? Like if, if you want something to bloom at a time when it's not supposed to, what, how do you do that? Okay. So, so let's say you want to have daffodils, uh, blooming in the house. Mm-hmm. So you buy the bulbs in the fall and, uh, cause that's the time that you buy 
the spring blooming bulbs, you buy them in the fall, such as tulips and daffodils and allium and uh, crocus. Um, so, and um, you plant them in a pot, and you'll put them in uh, a refrigerator because that bulb needs to have a really cold, has a cold treatment or needs a cold treatment for a few months before it'll start growing. So if you took that bulb and you just brought it into the house, it would never grow mm. in the warmth. So it needs to have that cold treatment. A lot of people will put them in the refrigerator and then pull them out in a few months, start watering them, and then they grow and bloom for you at that time. Gotcha. Okay. So that's for, that's what means you're forcing it to do something that it's not, it's not naturally doing. Mm-hmm. Um. Let me see. Homeschooling is stressful. Do you have any garden suggestions that I can do with my child at this time? Um, yeah, you don't tell me where, how. Anyway, how old the the child is. So, yeah, something fun you can do is um, if you have eggshells, um, you know, half you, you've cracked the shells, the egg, and you have the half shells. Those are really kind of a good container to grow seeds in. And then you've got the container. You can put the shells back into the container. Fill those with um, soil and uh, plant some seeds. You could do tomatoes. You could do uh, peppers. You could do California poppies. Um, And it's kind of a fun thing for kids to be able to watch something growing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are there any that are, like, really quick growing that way like a young child would be able to see the rewards pretty quickly yeah lettuces tend to grow really fast to actually tomatoes grow really fast in a within if you you have it in a a warm place within a few days they start sprouting most most seeds will do that okay good um and and nasturtiums are the other ones that are really kind of fun um I think that's all I've got, Chris. All right. That's great. Um, Before we wrap up, so we've talked about the unfortunate impact of um, coronavirus on a a number of island businesses. What uh, do you want people to know about being able to visit uh, Lozier Family Gardens? Is there any precaution that they should take? Are you open now? Do you have reduced hours, that kind of thing? Yep. So I I am open now. I'm open every day. and what I'm asking people is you have to wear a mask when you come in. Um, and, and I'm happy to have people come into the greenhouse because it's gorgeous right now. And there's a lot of new things growing and it smells really good. But we've got to do social distancing while we're in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And um, just one person in the shop at a time. So while I'm cashing you out, uh, just that one person wait till, and wait till they're done and then you can come in um, People are really good, though. I think people are following the rules and they're being really good about this. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly been what I've observed too. We've, um, you know, gone for walks and things, and people are very friendly, like Peaks Islanders are, right? They want to talk and they want to wave and things, but they're doing a good job of keeping their distance, which is great. Yeah, it's true. All right, so the last thing, Chris, I'm going to talk about, and it's probably my least favorite topic. It's let's talk about tomatoes. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason it's my least favorite is because they're really popular, but they're the one plant 
that creates so much disappointment in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's cool here. They're a really warm weather plant. They like a long season. And in Maine, our seasons tend to be a little bit shorter. Um, and everybody wants to plant their tomatoes in the ground Memorial Day weekend, yep. <laughs> which sometimes is still really cold for us. And our soil hasn't warmed up. They put their tomatoes into the ground at that time, and they kind of the plant just struggles, and it takes a long time for it to catch up or to to bounce back. So, I mean, but I understand you know the crop. There's so many positive things about tomatoes, and I mean, there's nothing like standing in the garden, uh, popping some cherry tomatoes in your mouth right off the vine. They're so good, or you know that that great big brandy wine that's just ripened perfectly and you know and you slice it you put it on some bread from standard bakery i mean nothing is better than that but it's just one of those crops that it's so hard to get a good crop um if you plant them too early and so i just recommend to people to hold up this is what i do with growing tomatoes i don't put my tomatoes in the ground until the first day of summer and it seems really late, but by then the soil has warmed up a lot. You pop the plants in the ground. They don't, they don't even know the difference. They don't go into any shock, and they just grow really fast. And I get more than enough tomatoes um, by waiting. And I've tried it both ways. I've put them in early, and I've waited, and I've done so much better by waiting. That is so, great to know. But people uh, are not patient. They want that big, perfect tomato as quickly as possible. And it just causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Now, do you delay starting your seeds at all then? Or do you still start them the same time that you would if you were putting them in in May and you just let them sort of grow in a little container or a peat pot? Yep. So I actually uh, put them in bigger pots. So mm-hmm. I, I start them at the same time, which is uh, usually the first week of April. I'll start the seeds in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And then I just, um, as they're growing, I keep putting them in bigger pots um, as they're growing, and I plant them really deep. The interesting thing about tomatoes is the whole stem will root. So the roots not necessarily just at the bottom of the plant. They'll actually start growing out of the side. So each time I transplant it, I plant it as deep as I can. I strip all the leaves off the bottom of it, and then I plant them a little bit deeper. The more roots you have, the faster it's going to grow um, because it can take more nutrients and moisture. And then when I transplant it again, I did the same thing. So by the time I get it into the garden, I have a, you know, an extensive root system on that plant that it's ready to take off. That is so good to know. That's, I think, a wonderful tip because I'm guilty of the fact that I like tomatoes quite a bit and want to rush them. Um, and I've never had luck with them here. We did in Connecticut where it is considerably warmer, um, but I haven't had any luck with them really here and in the way that I would want. So that's a great tip that I'll try. Good. Good. And that's all I got, Chris. All right. Well, this has been a great hour. It's been a lot of fun um, hearing about your gardening tips. And I think it's one of those things that's a really, I think it's a huge positive that we all get to think about gardening and get to hear about all these good ideas in the midst of, you know, maybe the time that people have on their hands or as a way to combat some of the anxiety about, you know, the stay at home order and that sort of thing. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk oh, with us today. Great. I guess the one thing I would leave since there's going to be a lot of new gardeners happening is even if you're the best gardener, you're going to have failures. 
So even the best gardeners, we, we fail at a, you know, when it comes to plants. So people should not get discouraged if they have failures because you're going to have them. And it doesn't mean you're a bad gardener. You just, just, just keep going forward. Try something a little differently the next time. Maybe it'll succeed. But I just don't want people getting discouraged, the new gardeners getting discouraged because they're going to have failures. It, and that's normal gardening. We all have failures when we're gardening. Well, thank you very much for that. That was very good, uh, a good pep talk. <laughs> and as definitely a newer gardener, I'll take that to heart. I'll try to take it to heart <laughs> this year. <laughs> good, 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 good. All right. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, and good night to everybody. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so you're listening to Peak Island Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day at 1700 a.m. or on the web at peaksilandradio.com. We will post this recording of Jim's Garden Talk, both on our website as a podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we'll also be broadcasting it at various times throughout the week as well. A couple of days in the morning for folks that listen in the morning, and a couple more times in the evenings as well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Chris. That was Jim Lozier from Lozier Family Gardens. Have a good night. And a big thank you to the friends of the Peaks Island Library, for thinking of Peak Island Radio to host remotely their garden talk that they had planned with Jim to be in person. However, due to social distancing, we did host it on Peak Island Radio, and a big thank you again to them for sponsoring this event. If you like what you heard, you can check out more archives at peaksilandradio.com or listen 24-7 at peaksilandradio.com or AM1700.